Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle. I use she or they pronouns. You can find me on the internet at redtailedhawk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hi, I'm Jade. You can find me on Twitter at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We will be making our way through the books one at a time, uh, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Speaking of which, today we're joined by a special guest, Jen. Hi. Woo. I'm Jen. <laughs> My pronouns are she, her, and I don't really have an online presence, so you can't find me anywhere. <laughs> a cryptid. We have a few of those on the server. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yes, this uh, is my first time meeting Jen in any sort of capacity except for seeing her comments in the uh, book club channel in the server. So this is a lot of me. all caps, exclamation A marks, lot of all caps. General yeah. screaming. Yeah. A lot yeah. of stuff behind spoiler tags that I have to not open because it's about future books. And I'm like, no, I can't read the thing. I want to read the thing. <laughs> Jen likes to join in Danielle in making, like, upset smiley face emojis about future events as well. <laughs> yeah, we're those people who you mention one seemingly minor thing and we're like, hey, what about book 48? Yeah, and there's like cry. four or five different comments in this document alone saying, hey, what about book number 20-something? So, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's good. It's great. Uh, so obviously you have a close relationship with the series, Jen. Do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of how it came to be a thing that you're a fan of? Yeah. Um, so I have always been a big reader. When I was a kid, I was reading constantly. But for the life of me, I could not tell you a single thing I read in my life before Animorphs. <laughs> like, I have no clue what kind of fiction I was into. I don't know what I was reading. It's all I did but I don't remember any of it. Um, I was always very into animals and right around like early elementary school age, I was also very into like astronomy and um, outer space and all that. So it's kind of inevitable, I guess, that I found Animorphs. Um, but I was actually, I got the first eight books um, as a gift for my birthday and Christmas one year from my great aunt. And um you know, at first, I really wasn't interested in them. I hadn't made the jump from loving astronomy and space to sci-fi. <laughs> so I really didn't think I was going to like them. They sat on my shelf for a while, and when I eventually picked one up, um, it was mostly to prove to myself that I wouldn't like them. <laughs> so I started with number eight, The Alien, which is possibly <laughs> the most sci-fi-y looking of the books, because it has a literal alien on the cover. Um which that sounds exactly like the sort of passive-aggressive bullshit I would pull <laughs> on my own self. But uh, obviously it didn't work because I liked it and realized I didn't know what was going on. So I went back, started at the beginning. And that, I mean, that was it. I read straight through from 1 to 54. Um, I was very lucky that my parents were very supportive of me reading everything ever. So we made monthly trips to the bookstore to pick up the new one that came out. and. I mean, that was that was it. The rest is history. <laughs> nice. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to our first episode and uh, or and or don't remember, 
um, Jen and I met in college. Uh, and specifically, we met, uh, we became friends when first we started fanning about uh, Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, may her memory be a curse. Uh, and soon after, we both realized that we had read Animorphs and really liked Animorphs. And there were several very late night discussions of just a lot of flailing and being sad. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things I distinctly remember, like we had been talking about fandom and various nerdy things for a while. And then I don't remember who brought it up, but it was like, so did you read Animorphs? <laughs> and then, like, yeah, but then you still have to like gauge it because like yeah. a lot of people read Animorphs, <laughs> but like not everyone like read Animorphs. Yeah. <laughs> so it took us a while to kind of figure out that we both like really read Animorphs <laughs> and we're really into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, no, I, I've de- I didn't have Animorphs, but I've definitely had that moment. Of, oh, you like the thing? Oh, you like the thing in the way that I like the yes. thing? Oh, yes, good. Exactly. I can like, see the mask exactly. can drop. The info <laughs> dumping can occur. Right? Yes. Like, did you read it and like, oh yeah, those books where they turned into animals, those were cool. Or like, were you permanently scarred by your experience <laughs> reading animals? Nope. Of course, yeah. now I feel like that needs to be the follow-up question of, uh, what is your feeling politically since reading those books? Because I just need to make sure we're on the same take after Danielle keeps telling me about this person on Twitter with the really bad takes who says they're an animals fan. Just like, what books did you read? <laughs> right um yeah wait what was the question <laughs> so there's this one dude on twitter who read animorphs but is also uh-huh. like a diehard conservative oh how yeah, yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's what i said maybe you follow up yeah. with a quick political question just like oh, and how okay. do you feel yeah oh no <laughs> no no yeah, yeah. no definitely yeah. not um i think like it would without being overly dramatic, it would be kind of hard to overstate like how much these books had an effect on mm-hmm. like my childhood and my entire life and who I am, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like really overly dramatic to say, but. Well, no, I mean, we I talked mean, about this a little in uh, our book one episodes, like when we're like young adults, we imprint pretty heavily on stuff that evokes an emotional reaction in us and it does sort of form our tastes going on like the number of characters of mine across various things I can trace a a really clear line back to things I watched as a teenager and loved as a teenager right and the kind of stories I come back to again and again like I was never an Animorphs kid but I was big into a specific quartet of uh, Tamora Pierce books called Mm. The Immortals where the main character Dane is a girl who learns how to turn into animals so you know Right. Same feeling. <laughs> Same feels. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I, I totally get the vibe. Just like they feel like they're part of your DNA because yeah. they have such an impact on you. And then yeah. it even shapes like the kind of stories you felt drawn to or you avoid and helps sometimes in this case sort of shape how you view things like comp- big subjects like war. Because mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like-, like I should mention, I was I got the first eight books for my ninth birthday. So <laughs> I've literally been with these books for two decades now mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and I mean, I've found old journals of mine from when I was like 10 and 11 writing about like, if aliens came to earth, what would they think of humanity? What would they think of like the wars that we fight and our religion? And like, these are the things that I was actively thinking about as a 10 year old child because of Animar. So 
Like, it definitely <laughs> shaped, like, the kind of sci-fi I enjoy, the kind of, like, everything, everything that I do, everything I think about, basically. <laughs> I was just sad about Tobias. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can't be both. Daniel, yeah. You know? No, it was, it was much more of a background, uh radicalizing mm. for me until until later um yeah yeah i mean i was also very sad about tobias <laughs> so we're all we're all sad about tobias yes <laughs> oh okay um all right let's uh let's start talking about book five the predator uh now, before we go in, I will say at the top, some book-specific content warnings include dissociation in the form of losing yourself real bad in morph, um, parent death because Marco's mom is, da is dead and he talks about that and its effect on him and his mom and his dad a lot, uh, and insects because they morph some insects for really the first time here. They and sure do. Well, we'll talk about that more later, but if you have any kind of phobia of insects, this possibly, like, we'll we'll flag it when we get to that section of the book especially, but, like, this is probably not going to be a fun listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. If you don't have a phobia of insects, you might after this book. <laughs> At least of ants. Fuck ants. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so... Cold open. Marco, uh, because this is a Marco-narrated book, is walking back from the 7-Eleven, uh, quote-unquote, after 10 at night, having gone out to get some groceries. Because his dad doesn't do the grocery shopping, and he... That's his 13-year-old do it instead. Yeah. At 7-Eleven, after 10 at night in a bad neighborhood. I do appreciate that his quote-unquote groceries are milk, bread, and M&M's. Yeah. Like, Going to the shop privileges is the M&M's. The milk and bread was required. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, on his way back from the 7-Eleven, he passes an old man being mugged, uh, and he can't leave it alone. Uh, there's a, a really good bit here where he's listening to these punks um, mug this old man and he's trying to convince himself that it's not his problem, that uh, he should stay out of it and not put himself in danger. Um, but he, he, he can't leave it alone. Before he dives in, and we do get this moment where he's just like, a level of awareness and also just that good Marco vibes that we've been seeing from an outside perspective for four books, which is <laughs> like, uh, where he talks about these guys being bigger than him. And he's like, I'm not even average height for my age, although I make up for it by being incredibly cute and charming and witty which and modest. Which has been my Facebook bio, bio description since I made my Facebook. That's <laughs> um, great. And he's like, I'm fairly certain these big gang members were not going to be very impressed by his cuteness. Uh, fortunately, I have other abilities. Yeah. And he morphs Gorilla to uh, teach the punks a lesson. Uh, 
he he basically he goes in um there's a bit here where here's the thing about gorillas they are the sweetest animals around if you leave them alone they will mostly just sit and eat leaves all day um but marco doesn't want to sit and eat leaves he wants to kick these punks butt uh that's when i decided to say hello to get their attention i picked up the dumpster and threw it against the far wall of the alley <laughs> yes a full-size dumpster <laughs> I love this moment where one of these pugs is like, that's some kind of a monkey. And he's just like, monkey, excuse me, monkey. I'll show you monkey. Yep. It's just like, I love that he's pedantic little shit. Yeah. Um, he doesn't kill them in the way that Daredevil doesn't kill people. Uh, <laughs> which is to say he gives them grievous injuries that they'll live. Probably. probably. Mm. <laughs> Um, I really appreciate like this feels very comedic and obviously mm -hmm. it's Marco's perspective and it's fun to step back and go on a, was it actually this funny or is this because Marco is telling us the story of what happened ergo he adds humor mm -hmm. yeah um, but this moment of just like grabbing the third guy by the shirt or throwing him into the dumpster just like don't kill me he cried as he sailed through the air it's just like <laughs> I love that detail but it's like it's such a Marco way to put it mm-hmm Yep. Uh, he doesn't have any intention of killing anyone, but then one of the guys picks up a gun. Uh, gun trauma. Shout out to Izzy. Um, <laughs> but Marco is able to uh, basically use the dumpster against this dude. Uh, I'm pretty sure he just runs this dude over with a dumpster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. I checked. He was alive. He wasn't happy, but he was alive. <laughs> the gun was nowhere to be seen. And Marco's like, okay, good job. You saved the day. Uh, except that the old man who was getting mugged has now picked up the gun and is threatening Marco with it, calling him a demon um, and a monster. Uh, and Marco and shoots at him straight up. Um, Marco beats it. Uh, runs out of the alley, uh, and the chapter, the cold open, the chapter ends, which just goes to show you why you should never get involved in other people's problems. <laughs> Buddy. Uh, yep. I appreciate at the top of that chapter, he says, the thing I did at the 7-Eleven was dumb. Mm. Um, like, that level of self-awareness um, is interesting and to me mm -hmm. but um before we move on to chapter two do we want to talk about this compared to the danielle ins uh, not the danielle ins i'm reading your name the <laughs> rachel it's that time danielle morphed into an elephant yeah that time <laughs> that time <laughs> you know as she is one to do mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no i definitely that was the first thing i was thinking because i first read this um well first as in like to prepare for this recording pretty much right after reading y'all's um, episode on number two. So mm -hmm. that was fresh in my mind. And um, as you, we won't go into it extensively because y'all covered it pretty well. But, you know, when Rachel started to morph Elephant to scare off the creep who was threatening her on her walk home, Marco was among, you know, everyone in the group. He was the most angry at her. You know, he was mm -hmm. the most um, upset and, you know, calling her, calling it a dumb thing to do you know way too risky what if he'd been a controller you mm -hmm. know we, 
we can't ever be found, we can't be captured, we have to be careful, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and does arguably exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I was thinking about it, and it, it could just be a matter of they're still kind of ironing out the characters and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, whatever. But I, I would, I think a more, maybe more generous, more interesting reading is we talk a lot about Marco being the strategist, right? He's, he's the logical one. He knows what to do to get the problem solved, to get things done. Mm-hmm. But we see in this book, he does, he may know what the right thing, quote unquote, right thing to do in terms of strategy mm-hmm. is, but he can't always do it, right? Yeah. Like his conscience gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, here feel- he tells himself, this isn't your problem. You know, you're saving the world. Like, this is one guy. It's not worth the risk. But he can't walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I- I'll I'll go into more about it at the end, but just talking about Marco, why Marco fights, uh, and how I have a real lot of big ass feelings about it. Um, but what I suppose what I'll comment on is the difference because obviously we're in Rachel's head and we know why mm-hmm. she transforms in that moment. But also when we think about the incident at the um, the uh, car place, mm-hmm. yeah. Rachel, because of who she is, takes a certain glee in it like she's the berserker she enjoys the reaction it gets when she scares people right and i don't mm-hmm. think that's a bad thing let's say i think it's an interesting part of her character because she's obviously viewed very much as this pretty girl in her life mm-hmm. and she gets to be something scary and strong and have agency in a way that her normal life doesn't marco shifting the way he describes it and his reasons for doing so feel much more outwardly motivated mm-hmm. like he doesn't want to but he's going to whereas Rachel is like I want to do the thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's yeah. good I have a, I have a lot of feelings about this and it's good and it's interesting and it what's it makes for a compelling dynamic between the two of them yeah, yeah. oh definitely and uh, yeah I was <clears> reading this scene and I was thinking see I'll try to do this very non-spoilery but Many books on the line, we get basically an entire book that is nothing but Marco internally fighting against what needs to be done for the Animorphs and for, you know, humanity. No big deal. Mm-hmm. And then what he, you know, what his gut is saying, what he what he wants to do or, you know, what his emotions are telling him to do. So, I don't know, as we kind of go through the series, I just think it'll be interesting to kind of track that on both the mm-hmm. micro and macro scale and see when does he choose to go with the logical strategic move and when does he let his conscience you know yeah. lead him in the, in the other way yeah oh look i'm having feels about benny lafontaine again oh look yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, <sighs> it's also worth it to point out that a lot of the times when he is acting as the strategist he is putting out the plan or laying things out for jake mm-hmm. and jake is the one who ends up making the decision True. Um, yeah. A lot of the times when we see, you know, he, he'll talk about later uh, the bright, clear line from A to B and nothing matters except for the perfection of seeing that sequence of events that will do exactly what you want it to do. Um, and he frequently fucks it up when it's up to him. <laughs> well, it's like when Cassie, we talked about this, when Cassie is forced to make the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all have 
their fears and their worries about when the obligation to make the choice falls on them or where they have to. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, what I find, super, and this is something I think you put it out, Jen, in our server about uh, book three, was it's Marco that opened the door to let Tobias into the mall mm-hmm. rather yeah. than letting him fly into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like the level of awareness Marco has, and I'm going to cut, this is one of the things going to come back to later. He has the widest focus of any of them. Mm-hmm. He, he, is the one that talks about the consequences the most. And part of that, I think, is because he's been forced into this adult role with mm-hmm. the death of his mother. But also, he's very smart, and he's been forced to be a grown-up. Mm-hmm. And he probably has an, a, a level of awareness that the others have, don't have to, haven't had to have yet. And the thing about being smart and being aware and also being traumatized is it... <laughs> mm, it's it. That's a potent cocktail. Potent, yeah. Yep. And he's and the, smart in the way that he makes connections quick, mm-hmm. more quickly than the others. He he sees mm-hmm. if this happens, then this happens. This happens. This happens. This happens. And here's the end. Whereas yeah, he everyone else fast is, and sees it you fast. Know, yeah. He sees ten steps ahead, and he gets there quick enough to make these kinds of snap, you know, mm-hmm. judgments on things. Mm-hmm. What I kind of like about it, and we'll get back. We'll get back to the book summary in just a second. I promise. Eventually. Um, it's because he thinks so quickly, he is able to then worry about it. In mm-hmm. the same way that the more time Cassie has to make a choice, mm-hmm. the more caught up in it she gets. Because Marco thinks faster than everybody else, he's already, okay, well, this is the plan and this is why it's a bad idea. Because he's had the time to start thinking yeah. about the problems mm-hmm. with it. Right. And like, I think that that's a sucky position to be in because nobody likes to be the person that actually says, like nobody wants to be the killjoy. Nobody wants to mm-hmm. say, "Well, we can't do this because that's why," because you've already seen everything that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Which makes the fact that Marco uses humor so much just doubly upsetting, <laughs> because he knows he's going to be the one to point out the shitty stuff, mm-hmm. so he makes jokes. Yep. To balance out all the shitty things, he knows he's going to be the one to say. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of feelings about Marco. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> now, as I've gotten older with these books, Marco has become more and more my favorite character. Possibly because I am also increasingly a like sarcastic and cynical, you know, jaded asshole. So you know, I get him, but um, yeah, like I, I just identify with him more and more as as I re- reread these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even as a like Tobias, I would have instantly um, reflected if I'd read more of them as a kid. But for all the, I, I think that's why Marco pisses me off the most with some of the stuff he comes out with. He's just like, "Child, I know you are better than this." Just the child, just like, "No, we are, we are better than this." What do you mean? I'm projecting. No, you're projecting. <laughs> this is this is my project. This is my emotional projection character. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, so the next day, uh, Marco is telling his story to the others as they take a walk on Cassie's farm. Um, and of course he is hamming it up. Um, he's comparing himself to every awesome superhero in the book. Spider-Man, Wolverine, Batman, Captain America. Um, 
or at and, least Gorilla Boy, as Rowan says. <laughs> yeah. I love she does a flip. Just yeah. like, I love, I love that. It's very distracting when someone flips while they're talking to you. <laughs> That's why I, like, I, I don't mean to be, it's not a moral judgment. It's like Rachel is such a delightful asshole because <laughs> she's like Marco in that. We talked about this mm-hmm. with Rachel's books. Like, she keeps up with him. Mm-hmm. And I just like that. I just love that about their relationship. So, yeah. Uh, Jake is the one who says, hey, Marco, that wasn't a great idea. <laughs> it Do was a job good on you... rescuing the man, but don't maybe turn into a gorilla. <laughs> yep. Um, and then we get uh, the cast through Marco's eyes um, as he rewinds. He he basically, he does the, now you're wondering how I got into this position. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, as you're reading this, you're probably thinking, um, Marco, time out. You've left out a few things. Like, how can you turn into a gorilla? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh i love this asshole um so we get jake uh who is marco's best friend uh, he's one of those serious type guys you say the word responsibility and he snaps to attention um and i like this description of jake because it's probably the most detailed des- description of jake that we've had so far um i think even more so than cassie um because Marco knows him best. Mm. Um, and we also get this fucking line from Marco. He also has a great sense of humor and is very smart. And I would trust him with my life any day, any time. Not that I would ever tell him that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, don't worry, Marco. You'll get the chance. <laughs> many times over. <laughs> so many times. Um. I love uh, that. We, then we move on to his description of Cassie, uh, yeah. how he didn't know her very well. But I love how he just like, this is book five. Uh, yeah, we've picked up on it, but I was just like, I think she's kind of Jake's girlfriend now. Of course, no one is supposed to know this. Shh, big secret. It's just like, <laughs> you fucking nerd. Yes. Good. But um, I like that he, as well as we get the stuff about the vet things and like the visual of like her feeding up angry wolf medication while the wolf was looking at her like the sun but uh i like that he described if i'm comedy she's poetry yeah um and like there's clearly an admiration there because um, mm-hmm. what i find interesting is that it's something he highlights uh she's a natural peacemaker she's the one who knows when you're feeling bad and will find something nice to say that will make you feel better and it's not like she's manipulating she really cares about things she's like sincere or something i'm like child child why but i mean yeah and like he sees cassie's vibe and he knows that it's legit Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool coming from the savvy outsider and it's not clouded by being a best friend having Mm -hmm. a crush it's literally just like yeah this is the read on cassie yeah like and hearing it from marco going she's legit and sincere Mm -hmm. it's sort of like that little confirmation for the audience yeah. Just like, is she really that good? Actually, no, yeah, she is really that good. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I like this description because I feel like, in a way, that yes, Marco and Cassie are probably the the most dissimilar of the characters. But in the same way that Cassie is very empathetic and kind of always knows how everyone is feeling, Marco d- knows that too. You know, mm-hmm. he knows when people are upset. He knows when they're lying. He knows when they're, you know, unsure. 
but it's not in the same way that Cassie knows. He doesn't know it in a way that he sympathizes or empathizes with them. He he knows it as, and it's part of the strategy. He knows it. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the conversation he had with Cassie in the last book at yeah. his apartment mm-hmm. when he's the one who calls her out and says, "Oh, you don't like making decisions." And even Cassie hadn't really realized that that was. Mm-hmm. you know where her problem was like she hadn't even voiced that to herself and he immediately is like oh you can't handle this responsibility but it's uh, obviously not in a way to make her feel better it's just he sees it mm-hmm. he's going to call it out yeah it's one of those things where and i i don't necessarily like to always make this um assumption but it does actually read as very autistic spectrum mm-hmm. uh, in a different way to tobias does like mark is just very like i think the thing i say the thing or his yeah. only solution, if somebody's make, feeling bad, is to make a joke about it. Mm-hmm. Because that's his coping mechanism. Right. But yeah. the way he thinks about things and the way he can be incredibly pragmatic and just like, well, here's A to B. You don't have to like it, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And he's, right. yeah, I was gonna, he, has, he has a vibe. Um, probably comorbid ADHD as well, given some of the other stuff about him. <laughs> But the fact that he finds certain things so easy as well, it just, it's a vibe. I don't think they all are. And it's not just my autistic ass projecting. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit my autistic ass projecting. But also, like, the, we call it the Autism Sunday Bar for a reason. <laughs> and I like, because we've had those cool little moments of connection between Marco and Tobias, um, I'm just going to sit here, spin this theory some more. <laughs> Please carry on. Well, yeah. I- emotions uh, about autistic animals. Yeah. Yeah, just wait until you get more of X. Yeah, aliens are different and I can't just go alien is autistic metaphor but also is because that bugs me. But it's the same reason why like Axe mm-hmm. is non-binary. But mm-hmm. he, but but he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also he's an alien. Yeah. That's true. But we'll we'll talk more against that. Okay, but yes, feels and mood and I I say as much later in the in our notes about mm-hmm. Axe being big autistic mood as well. So. Yeah. Uh, we get description of Rachel. She's That's, a babe, apparently. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> a total babe who is unfortunately is totally is also totally insane. <laughs> a lunatic Amazon warrior queen just fighting to get out is how he describes yep. her. He's just yep. like, hmm. Yep. I do like that after this whole describes this very leggy blonde supermodel Miss Fashion, he says, I swear that if she could, Rachel would be wearing a suit of armour and swinging a sword. Mm-hmm. Like, he does add it would be a fashionable suit of armour and she would look great in it, but that vibe of recognising that she's a fighter in that way, like righteousness, is a really cool pull for mm-hmm. him to make. Yeah. Yep. Rachel the Paladin. I can get behind mm-hmm. it. Fucking yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, get this girl a bastard sword. uh then there's tobias he talks about how tobias is stuck as bird of prey um that's why tobias was flying overhead with his wide wings catching the warm updrafts tobias is a hawk a red-tailed hawk to be exact i guess he always will be i tease tobias sometimes what happened to him scares me and it's on like there there's a paragraph break between each of those statements Mm -hmm. and it's i love the way it's written it hits really hard um and we uses humor to distance himself from shit that scares him yes yes um yeah uh 
Then we get backstory on the Yerks. Da da da. Tom's mentioned. Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, Melissa is mentioned. Uh, so we get some touchstones of people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Marco laying it out how it's the five of them yep. uh, against the Yerks. Mm-hmm. And talks a little bit about their allies and how all they have is kids and tender birds or growers. <laughs> and then we cut back to Jake lecturing. Yep. Remember um, what happened at the used car lot with Rachel and Tobias? You asked them if they were insane. I was about to argue when Rachel spoke up again. I think Marco did the right thing, she said. What was he supposed to do? Just walk away? I don't think so. Okay, now I know I was wrong, I said. <laughs> Anytime Rachel thinks I did the right thing, it has to be wrong. Besides, that was my whole point. I risked my life for that old man and I didn't even get a thank you. Um, <laughs> And then Cassie calls him heroic. And he's like, well, what could I say to that? It's very hard to disagree with someone who's just called you a hero. <laughs> yeah. I also like she does say, I don't know if it was a good idea. Yeah. But the, I, but the feeling behind it was good, which mm-hmm. is just a really good little sentiment. And she's like... Jake decided to let it go. Unfortunately, the reason he decided to drop it was that he had something bigger to talk about. <laughs> he got his serious look. I groaned. I hate that serious look. It always means <laughs> trouble. Uh, they're out here to see Axe uh, because Jake and Cassie have been talking to him the last couple of days about what he wants to do. Um, and Jake's like, well, Axe wants to try to go home to the Andalite homeworld. Um, and Marco's like, isn't it really far away? (laughs) And Marco does some quick math when Jake is like, yeah, it's 82 light years. Um, we tried to figure it out in miles, but none of our calculators go that high. That's what scientific notation is for y'all. Uh, I do like that. Yeah, he does (laughs) it, but Mark, I like that Marco does it and that's just. He does the maths. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he figures out, and then just like Rachel gently mocks him for it, like mm-hmm. so he has been awake, and just like and I just like I don't think any of the major airlines fly to the Andalite homeworld, and <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know that's why we have to steal a spaceship, and then Axe is there just watching. Yep. It's just like before we can dwell on that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we again get the description of Andalites. Um, that this is probably one of the weirder descriptions we've had so far because they still haven't quite figured out what they want to do with it yet and they haven't had an artist come along and draw it as a centaur (laughs) so four hooved feet that flash with amazing speed his upper body looks like a horse's neck and head except that when he gets close enough you see that he has two smaller human-sized arms sticking out I mean to be fair that just sounds like somebody that only has a vague idea of what horses look like (laughs) Um, and, uh, according to Cassie and Rachel, Axe is cute. I wouldn't know being a guy. Side okay, eye, Marco. Yeah. Sure, Jan. <laughs> sure, <Jen>. sure, buddy. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's I, all I clear. Like they sit down. Before but, we go, and he, I like that he's just like, yeah, that girl's ignoring the, uh, no homo bit. <laughs> Um, he's like, yeah, you see the tail, you know that Andalites aren't cuddly koala bears or puppies. And yet yeah. talks about how he saw, um, uh, when, uh, Elfangor fought Vissa 3 mm-hmm. and just how dangerous it can be. Mm-hmm. And he says, that memory came back to me as I watched Axe galloping towards us, tail arched and ready. Mm-hmm. 
again, it's that awareness of danger at all times. Yeah. Um, they're out far enough away from Cassie's house that they're reasonably sure that no one will see them. Tobias gives the all clear because he's a scout. Um, and we get again, Axe calling Jake, Prince Jake. Um, <laughs> there's just so much. Jade, I hope you aren't getting tired of this shtick because it does not go away. It doesn't. No, it's, it's cute. I'm here for it. It's fun. <laughs> Um, but they sit and have a meeting. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine too, Axe, I said, or at least I was until I heard someone say something really stupid. <laughs> Axe looked uncertain. He swiveled one of his stock eyes forward to get a better look at me. What stupid thing was said? <laughs> someone said we were going to try and steal a Yerk spaceship, I said. I love that he says I, he smiled an Andalite smile, which is hard to describe, except that he involves his main eyes. And I'm here just going, oh, but you can tell when he's smiling, can't you? Because I'm yeah. an asshole with that <laughs> brain that won't shut up. The yeah. Andalites invented the smize. I was just going to say that, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Tyra would be proud of you, Axe. Right? <laughs> um... And the, uh, Axe is just like, so you think it's going to be dangerous? And Mark's like, dangerous? No, jumping off a 10-story building is dangerous. Sticking your tongue in an electrical socket is dangerous, not to mention painful. But stealing a Yerk ship is beyond dangerous. To which point my dumb kids playing hero is like, what, like it's hard? Elwood's <laughs> 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 <Ed> voice. <laughs> also, that sounds like a personal experience story. Sticking About your tongue in an electric is dangerous, yeah. not to mention painful. Uh, um, you, yeah. want, you have a story to share with yeah. the class? Yeah. Um, and then we get a delightful taste of some uh, Andalite propaganda. Uh, yep. The higher the danger, the higher the honor, Axe said. Is this not true? And to which point Marco gives Rachel a sidelong look and is just like, I think we found your future husband. <laughs> nah, your future husband's flying above you. But. Uh, uh, okay, now I'm sad. You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Jake's like, yeah, it may be honorable, but honor isn't our most important goal. Um, right. Axe is Which like, like blows Axe's mind. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you fight for if not for honor? Honor. It's a good boy. <laughs> um, um, and Jake sort of lays it out that they're trying to stay alive because they have an obligation to be alive to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. um, because if anything happens just, to them, nothing. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. there to stop the Yerks. Yeah. And uh, Axe understands that position. He apologizes. Um, so, so the question is whether this is something we can do without getting killed. Yeah, we're mostly against the idea of getting killed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Axe <laughs> lies out about creating a distress beacon. Yep. Uh, a Yerk distress beacon. Because this bot's the technician. Mm -hmm. I just did a happy wiggle. Don't mind me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And Mark's like, oh, you mean like, hello, hello, is this Vista 3? Could you send a ship down to pick me up? Uh, yeah. Mark is like expecting everyone to laugh. Um, <laughs> and no one's laughing. And he's like, personally, I've had plenty of Vista 3 in my life. I don't need to call him on the phone. And Max is just like, it will not involve that guy. <laughs> that foul beast. Yeah. And just, that was one thing I liked about Axe. It's just like, sure, mm -hmm. one thing. <laughs> um, he hated Vista 3. So, yep. Low key. 
I know we're talking about Vista 3, who's a cat person, but no, this is not Vista 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and Axe is like, you know, it'll be fine. They'll hear a distress beacon and send the bug fighter. Um, and Marco says, this actually, this passage is really good. Marco points out, like, if there's a bug fighter, that means that there's a hork and a taxon, and, like, they're not minor. And Axe says, do you fear them? And Marco says, you better believe I fear them. And then Axe takes this fucking dig. Fear is unworthy of a warrior. Uh, Which sounds like something you'd see on a poster in a yes. Andalite training camp. Like, yeah, for real. The Andalites are dicks. Uh, he seemed a little too determined for me. I don't know much about Andalites, but I had a feeling I understood this one, at least a little. See, he was alive, but every other Andalite who had come to Earth, including Axe's brother, the prince, was dead. So I took a shot. It wasn't fair, maybe, but he'd made me mad, acting like I was some kind of coward. How many times have you fought hork or any other controller? I asked him. His stock eyes drooped. He pawed the ground with one hoof. Never, he said. I, th- I nodded. I thought so. So let me tell you something, Axe. It's scary. It's so scary that sometimes you wish you could just go ahead and die because it's easier than dealing with the terror. Well, I thought as I looked around at my friends, that pretty well killed everyone's happy mood. Oh, buddy. Yep, Marco saying the hard things. Yep. But true things. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that it killed the mood, so he's got to make a joke soon. Uh, but Tobias breaks the silence uh, for him, um, and he's just like, so if you get a ship, can you go back? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I hope so. And if you make it, back can you get your people to hurry up and axe is like i'm young but because of who i am hopefully people will listen to me and uh the gang votes and marco groans because he knows what the result's gonna be yep oh axe oh buddy (laughs) okay so they make a plan so they make a plan god this plan is so good (laughs) (sighs) so the plan is to go to the mall yep to radio Uh, shack Radio shit. Get some get some get some stuff. Uh and they're laying out the time breakdown of Axe morphing, uh, because he's gonna need to be there to know what to get. And they're catching the bus, get to the mall, do the shopping, and the uh window that they've got to get back in. Mm-hmm. So And I love how it's just like thirty minutes they're very casual. Oh yeah, thirty minutes to reach Radio Shack. As we find out, they don't know where Radio Shack is in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> These fuckers. And then even before, Rachel's like, I should go with you guys. And we know, like, Rachel loves shopping. She knows them all like the back of her hand. This comes mm-hmm. up a lot in the future. So, like, honestly, why is Marco there? Other than the fact that it's his book, so he has to be there. Like, <laughs> you are useless in this situation, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, except he actually does prove to be a little useful in some ways. He does. Like, I okay. assume that Marco's a little bit of a mole rat as well. Like mm-hmm. he, says he goes there sometimes to hang out, and but uh, yes, I agree, and it's it's amusing. Uh, mm-hmm. We have this fun thing about um, Marco says about how they can't all go um, in case uh, something goes wrong and something's bound to go wrong, and Axe is just like, "Why you say that?" And Jake's just like, "Marco doesn't believe in optimism." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, uh, we get Axe morphing, uh, having to be reminded about a morphing outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you morph into a human, unless you have a morphing outfit on to begin with, no clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he has integrated it into his human morph, 
and he begins to morph. Um, and again, really strange and a partly funny way because his front hooves disappear before he is steady on his back legs. And so he like just falls forward. <laughs> Jake catches him. Jake catches him. It is cute. Um, thank you. I must practice standing with only two legs. Uh, he's, a mouth appears in his face. Just, ugh. Yep. It feels uncomfortable. Yep. It's gross. Um, a gash opened in his face. Like, ugh. And grew lips and teeth. He's just ugh. like, ugh. Of all the ways <laughs> to describe it. Cheers, Kay Applegate. Yep. Uh, he looks... The weirdest thing about Axe morphing was not just that he looked like a human. It was that he looked like a particular human. Actually, four particular humans. See, he had absorbed DNA from Jake and Cassie and Rachel and me. Somehow, by some process we did not understand, he was able to combine all four genetic patterns to come up with one person. The end result was definitely strange and disturbing. I looked at him and saw some of myself and Jake and Rachel and Cassie too, although Axe was male. It was the most bizarre part. Which, the way that sentence is structured is, uh, fun. <laughs> uh, looking at him and thinking, hey, he looks familiar. Really familiar. In fact, hey, that's my hair. Uh, and then he says this thing that is worded in a way that I hate so much. Uh, mm. acts you could be either a really pretty guy or a kind of unattractive girl. Um, to which Axe says, I am an Andalite, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, it just non-binary acts. Al- yeah, alien rejecting your binary. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am very here for androgynous acts and by Marco. Mm-hmm. I do like yeah. him going. The end result was definitely strange and disturbing. Just like, what is this feeling? <laughs> 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 oh no, this is a very pretty boy slash butch girl. I don't know how to feel about what I'm feeling, Marco. <laughs> you'll get it. That's the gay. You're fine. <laughs> Embrace, Embrace it. Just let it be. <laughs> Don't worry. Your authors in the future will go, hey, look, we realize looking back, we would do the thing. Which, we, <laughs> yes. which, we, which is a good thing to hear. Just like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, if we did it again, you know we would. <laughs> uh, and they get going. Um, Axe continues to play with mouth sounds. Um, Big autistic mood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marco and Jake and really the entire crew give him a hard time about that forever. I hate um, it. And I don't like that they do that um, because it's super ableist. Honestly, yeah. the Animorphs novels are really, really bad about ableism. It's going to mm. continue to be Oof. a problem. Yeah. It's, um, it's part of why I chose with Dumb Kids to play a disabled character so we can mm-hmm. sort of explore that a little and yeah. like offer a different perspective in the Animorphs yeah. alternative universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Axe, every time they tell him to stop, he doesn't. So there's that at least. <laughs> um, you do, you Axe. <laughs> uh, Axe seemed to think mouths were some kind of toy, which, I mean, fair. Um, uh, he doesn't know how to get dressed. They help him get dressed. Uh, they get him. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of small, uh, indicators that like, this is going to be really noticeable. People are going to think he's weird. Fortunately, it's the mall on a Saturday morning. I pointed out it'll be full of weird people. Not this weird. Rachel said this could be trouble again. Rachel, the certified mall rat. Um, 
And Marco's like, isn't it a little late for you to admit that I was right and this idea is insane? Besides, no need to worry, I'll be there. Great, then it's sure to be a disaster. Um, they get to the mall on time. Uh, they go into the mall. <laughs> so Jake far, so good, Jake so said. Good. <laughs> Jake, do me a favor. Don't ever say so far, so good. The only time anyone ever says so far, so good is right before everything blows up in his face. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Axe says it again, yeah. repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, they get into the mall. Jake doesn't know where the Radio Shack is. Marco doesn't know where the Radio Shack is. They're like, oh, let's go check out that map. Axe, come over here. We're going to check out that map. Axe? Axe? Marco, where's Axe? Because within two minutes of entering the mall, the crowded mall, Axe has run off. Uh... It's great. It is great. Um, uh, Marco does suddenly spot him, a strangely familiar face, over on the escalator. And Jake's just like, how the fuck did he get over there? Hashtag let the animal say fuck. Um, <laughs> um, and they take after him and Jake goes to start pushing his way through and Marco stops him. He's like, don't run, man. The, cop- the mall cops will think you're ripping something off. Besides, we can't attract attention. Control the shop too. Mm-hmm. Um. And this is one one of those things where it's just like, um, yeah, I think that this was a this we all highlighted this and had a had a comment here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jen was saying before about nobody even thought to scope out where the fuck Radio Shack is in this place. <laughs> um, what I like about this is that it's that level of awareness we were talking about with Marco, and also uh, as a pinged my Marco wasn't white. Which we know because mm-hmm. we actually get some more description about um, his mother later. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the uh, not white kid is going to know about like you don't run when there are cops around because they will run after you. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that there is that perspective um, that Jake and Rachel, as sort of affluent white kids, mm-hmm. wouldn't be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um. We see them going after Axe. Uh, they find him finally at the Starbucks. <laughs> I <laughs> love this. Starbucks. Over at Starbucks, the coffee place, because it's the 90s and not everyone knows Starbucks yet. <laughs> see, this is proof that this is more Pacific Northwest as well, because I know mm-hmm. that's where Starbucks started. Mm-hmm. Uh He's stand. Axe is standing patiently in line. So, like, he ran away because probably he was overwhelmed, or was so overwhelmingly curious about everything going on because nobody told him what the fuck to expect. Um, he he sees people queuing for Starbucks and is like, "Ah, yes, I understand a line." <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he gets up to the to the counter and then just like repeats what the person in front of him ordered (laughs) um and is very confused by the concept of money (laughs) and the difference between calf or decaf yeah (laughs) good (laughs) oh marco's like don't go off on your own go ahead i'm just really amused why this is probably not the weirdest person this starbucks yes Uh, probably had to deal with just like yeah it's 
people are weird when they're ordering coffee. <laughs> Marco says, don't go off on your own. We almost lost you. And Axe is like, lost? I am here. Which I think lends credence to, you know, oh, shiny. Um, or, you know, being overwhelmed, mm -hmm. then getting somewhere else and feeling more in control and being like, oh, shiny. Mm -hmm. Um. And we have this adorable moment of him uh, trying to suss out a coffee cup lid. Yeah. And it's beautiful. <laughs> He's just like, this is the peak of human technology right here. The coffee yeah. cup lid. In the lid. No spills. Yeah. He's yeah. so excited about it. Yeah. It's so and, like, cute. He grabs the lid because he saw other people grabbing the lid. Like, he's really good at mimicking what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And it makes me really sad that, like, at, like the ki the kids have barely interacted with him. Mm -hmm. Like, we, we get that only really Jake and Cassie have been talking to him. And he is very unused to everything around him. But, like, he's also really good at mimicking. And so if they took the effort to... He learns so quickly. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I think it, it's one of those... It, yeah, it makes me sad also. I think it's one of those things where... it might. This is one of those things that underlines that at the end of the day, they are children. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it necessarily occurred to them yeah. to do it yet. Yeah. Right. And I think it's easy for them to think, oh, he's an alien and also really, really smart. Why do we need to explain these things oh, to him? Fine. Well, and yeah. also at this point, they don't expect him to be around forever. You know, they're thinking. Mm, yeah, it's true. You know, he's been here for a week or two or we don't really know how long, I guess. But and then now they're planning to send him home. So mm. we don't need to teach him everything. We don't need to integrate him. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Spoiler, he's not going home today. Mm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he he's excited about the coffee cup lid, uh, and Axe is like, I have wanted to try other mouth uses, uh, drinking and eating, and Marco X like, just line the little hole up with the mouth, it's fine. And then Axe drinks coffee. Oh man, <laughs> his and we have this wonderful moment of him like, and he's like. Oh, 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 what, what is that? And Marco's like, what, what, what the fuck? What's happening? And Axe is like, what is going on in my mouth? It feels good. <laughs> what is this pleasant sensation? And then Marco and Jake's just like, oh, it's taste. It's tasting it. Yeah. He's tasting it. He doesn't normally have a sense of taste. And then Marco's like, at least he stopped repeating sounds. I'm about taste. Axe said, contradicting me. Aced to aced. And just like, <laughs> I've, the thing is, that's one of the things that bugs me a little about the kids like making fun and be feeling so embarrassed about it. Because like that's some hardcore echolalia feels, mm -hmm. like mm, big time. Yeah. I, I, as somebody that will sometimes do vocal stimming in echolalia, it's like, oh, that's the thing I do. Oh, people are making fun of it. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, that that unfortunately doesn't go away. Um, right. But also, maybe on the flip side, acts doesn't ever stop um mm -hmm. so you know yeah he doesn't mask which is cool he mm -hmm. he, he does his thing it was like i'm enjoying having a mouth and making mouth sounds Fuck <laughs> <off>. <laughs> yeah um they, and, uh, so, yeah. i can't believe they let him drink the coffee i can't believe they look at this <laughs> poor right? alien in a human morph who has already run off once and is experiencing taste for the first first time and they think, yes, caffeine will be fine. Caffeine will make the situation better. <laughs> um, 
But <laughs> they make it to Radio Shack and like, and Mark is like, I say this for Axe, he might have been weird by human standards, but he knows his technology and he just starts rattling off what he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, this could be a, f-. and just like, we get some fun techno babble and he's just like, oh, this is a primitive this and a primitive that, but I can make it work. And uh, he gets all the stuff he needs and at the end of it, she's like, good at last. All I lack is a Z-space transponder, transponder, ponder. And they're like, oh, what? <laughs> and he explains that it's something that translates the signal into zero space, which neither Marco or Jake have heard of. And this is where you get a little bit of that good condescension that uh-huh. is um, trying to explain what difference, what Z space is. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to be patient as explaining, but obviously with the echolalia as well, that definitely gives a vibe of really talking down to him. And then mm-hmm. Marco's just like, oh, okay, there's a zero space. I'm sorry to be so primitive and all, but we don't have faster than light travel and I've never heard of zero space. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jake so, is just like, oh, like you can just see him like pinching his nose like, yes, okay. Let's just get this and deal and with we'll that, that later. That's, yeah. Come uh, on, kids. Yeah. They pay for the stuff. Uh, Axe <laughs> finishes his coffee. It's just like, taste. I would like more taste. I smell things. I think there's a connection between what it says. Like, good. And Mark is like, yeah, you're right. We can't travel faster than lie, but we can make a sticky bun that smells pretty good. <laughs> sticky. Uh, and it asks, does he have to carry the coffee cup? And Mark is just like, no, you can just throw it away. And then Axe throws the coffee cup hard Chucks. and it hits one of the cashiers in the face. <laughs> and it's just very, it, the, the fucking visual of that is, is just so good. And uh, Jacob and Mark are like, oh, we're really sorry. It's an accident. It's just a seizure. It's fine. And it's like, it's fine. Forget it. He's gone. And, the, and Mark and Jacob are like, he's what? <laughs> and Axe is gone again. Yep. They race after him, but they are not fast enough. He gets mm-hmm. to the food court. Uh-oh. I love this image of just every one of them all. They, it says there was a crowd of people kind of surging, all moving in the same direction. Like they were running to see something, and they're just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, we get there, and uh, all alone, because all the people had pulled back who were laughing and giggling and pointing to Axe, running between the tables, snatching up food and trying it. Yep. Having a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like he tastes a piece of a half-eaten slice of pizza, throws the rest of the pizza that just <laughs> misses a mall cop. Um, taste, and then just screaming, taste, taste. Yeah, and then uh, then he finds a piece of cinnamon. Yeah, and <laughs> it's this like is this was what smelled good. <laughs> and just jams stick uh, cinnamon in his mouth, and it's just like, oh, taste, taste is great. Bunza. The introduction of possibly the most stable relationship in the entire Animorph series: Axe and cinnamon. <laughs> what I really do like is he's having this like religious experience of eating cinnamon and Marco leans into Jake's just like they do make a good sticky bar <laughs> uh, the mall cops are on them uh, they <laughs> Axe decided it was a good time to throw the rest of the bun away it hit the nearest <laughs> cop in the face <laughs> I love this visual of Axe just yeeting food of entries into cops faces <laughs> Uh, Marco screams at Axe to run. It gets through because Axe starts to run, but he can't run very well in Human Morph. Uh, and then he decides that the good idea then, because he's panicked and has caffeinated been, and caffeinated and been told to run, is to demorph as he's running. Uh, which definitely will make this whole situation better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
<clears throat> people start screaming as they would because this is a horrifying thing to see a fluid shifting mass of half formed features half mm -hmm. human half andalite and mark was like i don't blame him for screaming i feel like screaming myself <laughs> um but axe falls over as his legs are shifting and he skids along the floor and uh he finishes morphing he's pretty much himself and one of the mole cops um in an awed frightened whisper says andalite and marco's like only a controller would recognize an andalite uh the mole <laughs> cop pulls a gun and the, the command to run happens again um and the controllers between Axe and the door, which proves to be a mistake because, like, flash of the tail, guns goes flying, hand left bloody, and the kids, like, bust out the doors and run in for their lives. Yep. <laughs> Where uh, should we go? Axe demanded, reminded Thorspeak. Oh, now he wants advice. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, they go to the grocery store, uh, definitely not looking suspicious, running alongside a fucking alien. Um, they dodge police cars and go into the supermarket. They run all the way to the back, um, axe skittering on the slippery floor and banging into groceries. Kids are yelling that it's a monster. <laughs> it's a monster, mommy, it's a monster, some little kid yelled. It's just a pretend monster, his mother said. <laughs> There's some real good adults like deluding themselves in yeah. this story. I appreciate it. Uh, Marco yells bomb in a crowded grocery store, um, and everyone starts to try to run away. Um, then Marco snaps and points at the lobster tank at the end of the aisle. And that he'd already, that he'd already spotted. Mm -hmm. It was like, they just, he just knew they would need the time to morph without being seen doing it. Right. Um, so they climb into the lobster tank. Thankfully, it's a big tank. They pass around a lobster and acquire it, um, which is difficult because they, it's really hard to concentrate in this situation. Um, and then Axe starts to morph. They pull Axe into the tank with them, uh, and then they continue to morph lobster. And it's single-handedly the worst morph that they have ever, that they have done so far. Um, and it's just a really terrible, gross, morphing process mm -hmm. uh at any mo moment they were going to catch us half morphed i looked over at jake his eyes were gone replaced by little black bb's as i watched eight spindly blue insect-like legs erupted from his chest jake's yeah. face seemed to open up to split open into a complex mass of valves um i think okay. i would have thrown up except that i no longer had a mouth <clears throat> uh I had the terrifying sensation of knowing that all the bones inside my body were dissolving as a hard fingernail-like crust covered me all over. Uh, my human vision was fading, which was a good thing because I really did not want to see what I was becoming. Um, they all make it to Lobster Morph. They can't see well. They can't hear. Um, they, the lobster's brain only wants to kill and eat things. Um, but he finds it relatively simple to control. Um, he, uh, his eyes were almost useless. They showed fractured, incredible images with none of the colors I knew. I could see my pincers out in front of me. I could see my own antennae. Um, but he, he can't see really anything else. He calls out, Jake is present. Uh, Axe is present. Um, 
and they're all... They realize that they're the only options in the tank without rubber bands, so they are able to kind of group up together to to, be, to find the lobsters that don't have rubber bands. Um, they can't see out of the tank. They can only see shadows. Um, and Axe says that he'll t- keep track of time because basically um, they want to wait as long as they can, close to the full two hours. Um, because they want to make sure that the cops who come in and sweep the grocery store are gone. Uh, about an hour passes, and then Jake, Marco, and Axe are pulled out of the water and put into a bag with ice. Actually, it's, it's like a cooler. They're put into a cooler with ice. They go into torpor because cold-blooded creatures um they yeah jake is still like let's stay in morph as long as we can maybe we'll figure it out but if the controllers have us the last thing we want to do is demorph um the ice seemed to be making me sleepy or not exactly sleepy just slow sluggish i guess i kind of zoned out for a while i didn't know for how long until i became suddenly alert and heard axe's drowsy voice in my head saying we only have seven minutes left um and they're like, okay, yep, I'm going to demorph right now. I don't care who sees. I'm not going to get stuck as a lobster. Um, and they realize that it's warmer now uh, because they're not on ice anymore. Someone grabs Marco and holds him over a pot of boiling water because they intend to drop him in alive. Uh <laughs> And maybe it was because I was so desperate to scream, or maybe it was just the luck of the morph, but my human mouth was one of the first things to emerge. Small, open lips appeared in place of my lobster mouth. I didn't have normal lungs or vocal cords yet, so I couldn't make a sound, but I guess I didn't have to. I guess suddenly having lips appear on a lobster was enough to make the woman drop me. Um, He manages not to fall into the boiling water. He continues to demorph the human Screams a lot and doesn't stop screaming. Um, fair. <laughs> fair. Because, um, like, we have this vision of, like, Jake demorphing and, like, stood on the counter, like, one or, like, half in the in the mm-hmm. icy water cooler thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axe was a truly disgusting combination of Andalite and Lobster. Uh, unfortunately, this did not make the woman feel any better. <laughs> <laughs> Marco and Jake are like, no, it's fine. Calm down. Please calm down. Um, You're having a dream. Yeah, it's a dream. It's all a dream. I'm just like, you, <laughs> you, you lobsters. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly weird, I'll admit. <laughs> but it's okay. It's just a dream. Yeah, I love how Jake's like, yes, ma'am, just a dream. <laughs> We're going to leave now. You can wake up later, okay? But I wouldn't tell anyone about this dream. See, it could get you in trouble with with certain people. Besides, folk would just think you're crazy. <laughs> she nodded with extreme conviction. Uh, ma'am, I asked, do us a favor, would you please? Take those other guys down to the beach and let them go, because she had enough lobsters for dinner for six. <laughs> and Mark was just like, uh, I can't think about lobsters getting eaten right now. That is such a, like, you guys highlighted that. That's such a horrifying thing to have happen while in Morph. Like, yeah. kind of, you know, this book really just wants to seem to double down on that. But yeah, so far it has been Marco that gets the really shitty experiences. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Just again and again. Yep. 
It, That's the problem with being the quote comic relief character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, and then we get a weird as fuck nightmare, uh, followed by just the most trauma. Mm. Uh, time to get sad, kids. Time to get sad, kids. Um, he's having a dream about being a lobster. Uh, he screams. Um, someone wakes him up, and he is confused. He asks mom. Uh, silence, then no. My brain snapped back into reality. I was in my room, in my own bed. My dad was sitting on the side of the bed. He looked concerned and sad. It's just me, he said. He let go of my shoulders. <clears throat> yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Marco apologizes. Like, his dad's like, I guess you had a nightmare. And Marco's like, yeah, sorry, I woke you. And his dad's like, I wasn't asleep. And Marco looks at his clock and it's like 3.18 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And says, like, I didn't have to ask why my dad was awake. He often sat awake late into the night, sometimes watching TV, sometimes just staring into space. He's been that way since my mom died. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's fine. We're fine. Uh, yeah, we get this description of how Marco looks very different to his dad, his dad being tall. <laughs> I love that's the first thing he mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's pale with light brown eyes. And he says how his mum was Hispanic, very dark hair and eyes. And everyone says that Marco looks like her. And it's like, gets this fucking line, which I can't judge because I have done this with characters of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know it's true because sometimes when he's thinking about her, my dad will uh, just glaze over and stare at me like I'm not even there, like I'm a picture of someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Marco's just like trying to reassure his dad, I'm okay now. You should try to get some sleep. And it's just like, yeah, I'll uh, I'll do that. And he says, like, were you dreaming about her? Or asks if she, he was dreaming about her. And Marco's like, no. Why? And he's just like, because the first thing you said when you woke up was mom. And Mike's like, I guess I was confused. And his dad's just like, do you ever dream about her? And she's like, oh, my heart hurts as mm-hmm. reading this. And Mike's just like, sometimes, but they aren't nightmares. And he, he almost smiled. No, I guess they wouldn't be, would they? He picked up the little framed picture of my mum that I keep on my nightstand. Then he got that twisted look of sick grief that I'd seen on his face every day for the last two years. Part of me is mad when I see him that way. Part of me just wants to say, Dad, get it together. Let her go. She's dead. She doesn't want us spending the rest of our lives mourning. But I never do say that. Mm. Which is is interesting Mm. that, you you know, I never do say that because as we talked about before, Marco is not usually one to censor what he's thinking. he He will tell people. Hey, stop this! You're being you're being ridiculous. You're well, not ridiculous, but you know he's the first one to say, "Listen, snap out of it!" Yeah. Like here's what's here's reality, but he he can't do it to his dad. He can't say that. Yeah. Uh, his dad leaves. Uh, we've got Marco lying there in the dark, trying to get his dream out of his head. We get the fun thing of it's hard to forget a nightmare that's true. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> fucking wow. <clears throat> Yep. Um, the next day, uh, Axe has already completed his little device. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all out in the woods, chilling out under the oak tree. Having a picnic. Having a, it's very cute. Jake and Cassie have brought tools. Rachel brought sandwiches. Marco brought drinks. Um, and it's actually just like this really nice little moment 
Um, Michael talks about how it's a nice day, sunny and warm. And uh, Mark's like, I needed a nice day. I needed sunlight. And it's just sort of like, mmm, mood. Um, mm-hmm. But Axe explains what he's built, how it's a distress beacon that can broadcast on Yerk frequencies. Um, and he knows that it's a Yerk frequency because they've used it to trick them before to send fake instructions. And Jake's like, all it needs is a space transponder, says Jake. And uh, <laughs> I think Jake may have been a little ragged out by the lobster incident too. He seemed snappish and kind of unfocused, not at all Jake-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about how this is a thing they can't, it's useless without this part. Mm-hmm. And Rachel's just like, well, then what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, Marco makes uh, everyone sort of looking kind of depressed and sad. And Marco's just like, that wasn't doing anything for my bad mood, though. So he cracks a joke about how in two centuries or so humans will discover zero space. Um, but in the meantime, he's going to have a sandwich. Uh, Tobias comes down and joins him like yeah everything's cool but there's a golden eagle about a quarter mile south so I'm going to stay out of, out of sight for a bit yep. um, yeah yep. Mark I'm making this observation about not for the first time I realise how tough Tobias's life is he shares all the same dangers we do but he also has all the dangers that come from being a red tail hawk golden eagles sometimes prey on hawks they're bigger and faster than he is yep they sure do yep yep and so it's to- fine Tobias is getting caught up with the others and Rachel's just like, we have a useless distress beacon and Tobias is the one that mentions Chapman mm-hmm. um, who we have seen uh, communicating with somebody off world yep. and we get this cool bit of reflection from Marco about used, how he used to hate Chapman and even mm-hmm. knowing, even with him being controller but uh, having learned why um, and he says how it's hard to, it's hard to hate someone for protecting their kid even mm-hmm. if he or she ended up being a deadly enemy. That's one of the terrible things about fighting the Yerks. The real enemy is just the evil slug in a person's brain. The host is often totally innocent. Um, but we have this moment, and Tobias explaining the tech, and Axe is just like, yes, if I can use that, that will have transponders in it. And there's even this point where they're just like, there's going to be more than one inside Chapman's computer mm-hmm. to do this, so we can take one, and it wouldn't be noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel is very against going into Chapman's house again because they, she absolutely does not want Melissa to get made into a controller. Um, we can't go in as the cat anymore because Chapman's on guard. Um, Jake says, Rachel's right. We have, we do nothing that will endanger Melissa again. So the cat is out. Also, any other plan that means major risk that Chapman will discover us. Um, finally, Axe spoke silently in our heads. I cannot ask anyone to take risks for me. You rescued me from the bottom of the ocean. You sheltered me. And my foolishness almost got Prince Jake and Marco killed yesterday. What he said surprised me a little. I guess I'd expected him to argue that we should try and help him. And then Cassie. What if? Cassie began. We all looked at her. Yes? Jake asked. What if there was a way to get into Chapman's basement room, the secret room where he keeps the transmitter, without even going through the house, without almost no chance of getting caught? I felt my heart sink, as long as it doesn't involve anything with an exoskeleton. I'd meant it as a joke, but Cassie just looked at me solemnly. What? A lobster again? How is a lobster? No, she said. Think smaller. Much smaller. Much, much smaller. And here's where we get into the fun section. Uh, we'll maybe put a time code in the description if anyone wants to skip mm-hmm. uh, to the next part of the story. Because uh, Cassie's talking about morphing ants. 
Hey folks, it's Future Danielle. If you want to skip this stuff about the ants, you'll want to go ahead and go on to the next part of this episode. We finish out this episode talking about it. Now, dear listeners, for those of you that are new to the Animorphs franchise, like I am, perhaps reading along for the first time, you mention ants to people that know Animorphs and they go through this really weird, horrified reaction. <laughs> And sometimes if you're making an actual play podcast where you play Animorphs and somebody offhandedly mentions maybe ants and your GM tries to audibly not freak out on air about how <laughs> ants are the worst possible idea. Ants bad. You're about to find out why. You're about to find out why. <laughs> Which I I genuinely, I don't know how. I always forget that this is the ant book. Always. I literally, the audiobook version of this came out not six months ago, and I listened to it. I forgot it was the end book then, and I forgot it again this time. Maybe your, maybe your memory has tried to protect you, Jen. I, Just yes, like. I think it is, and it is failing, because then right around the time when they're like, oh, Chapman, I'm like, oh, yeah, how do they go to Chapman? Oh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but none of the kids are in a great mood. Uh, Marco flunked a quiz. Um, he and Jake are just chatting and he's just like, this is bad. Bugs are bad. And Jake's like, I was a flea. It was fine. And you have a good little back and forth. And Marco's like, Jake, do you ever listen to yourself? And he's like, I try not to think about it. <laughs> um, I think it's here though. We have this moment um, where Marco's like, this is the lot. Uh, we, we have Marco talking about how it's about to be the anniversary of his mum's death. Mm -hmm. Two um, years to the day. Two years to the day. And explains that she'd taken a boat out of the marina, sailed it into rough sea. She'd never done that before because they'd always gone out together. And the boat was found driven up on the rocks with a shattered hull the next day and no sign of his mum. Nobody was ever found. And uh, we have this, this is one of, again, one of those moments where Marco is like, the ocean is a big place. So is space, a voice in my head said. Somewhere very, very far away, a mother and father wondered what had become of their children. For yeah. a long time, I made up stories about how my mum had survived, maybe on a desert island or something, but I'm a realistic person, I guess. After a while, I accepted it. And after a while, Axe's parents would accept that he and his brother, Prince Elfangor, would not be returning, that they had been lost forever in space. Lost fighting to protect Earth, to help the human race, to help me. And this kid cannot stop thinking about other people. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I like this parallel of, you know, up to this point, his biggest reluctance in being part of the Animorphs has been, obviously, his dad. He, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to die, obviously, but not because he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want his dad to have to deal with him dying, which that's a whole thing. Yeah, this line then, about how it would be a really bad week for me to turn up dead. Oh, Not God, because yeah. he would be dying, no, but because no, no. his dad would have to deal with that happening at the same time. Yeah. So I, I do like that what kind of puts him over the edge to be a part of this particular mission is not that he necessarily cares enough about Axe to get Axe home, but he's thinking about Axe's parents and, you know, that he doesn't want them to be left wondering what happened to him. Mm -hmm. um, and just this this little this little tiny child boy mm -hmm. so much parental responsibility and guilt yeah 
And he was so against this mission and he hates everything about it, but he has that turn of thought and uh, sort of briefly sees Cassie in school, uh, even though they sort of keep on the DL, they know each other. And uh, he says to Cassie to tell Jake that he'll do it. And then we have this line and, oh, what an upsetting thing for a child to say going into war. Sometimes I really hate having a conscience. Yep. Baby boy. No, it's good. Don't hate that. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Empathy is hard. <laughs> wouldn't it be nice? I said, wouldn't it be nice to be able to switch that shit off? Some people don't have the option of that switch, and it's scary and upsetting. Mm-hmm. So you know. So later at night, not necessarily the same night, a night, uh, the moon is full, and they're hiding under a tree in Chapman's neighbor's yard that is for sale. So there's nobody in it. Um, and they've all acquired their aunts. Um, everyone was talking too much the way you do when you're nervous. Cassie was shivering like she was cold, only it was about 70 degrees out. Um, and Marco checks in with Tobias with how well he can see. Tobias says, well, as long as you stay above ground, uh, the moonlight makes it so that I can see still. Um, not nearly as good at night as I am during the day. Um, Jake, they have figured out this plan that we know that Chapman is at a meeting of the sharing right about now. Um, and we didn't have to ask how Jake knew about the meeting of the sharing. Jake's brother, Tom, is one of them, a controller who is very into the sharing. Um, they, re they ask Axe if he is ready because he's morphed back to Andalite from human. Uh, they, there's a note about how they, all have to be in their natural form before they morph. Once Cassie had tried morphing straight from one animal to another, nothing had happened, and Cassie is the best morpher. And they start to morph ants. The morphing begins very quickly. Uh, the first sensation is of shrinking. Um, I was still maybe a foot tall when my skin seemed to turn crisp as if it had been burned. It became hard. Uh, I looked over at Cassie and nearly screamed. She was farther along than me, only a foot tall in hard-shelled black all over, glistening, ridged, plastic-looking skin. <clears throat> Legs grow out of their chests, her face and his face, uh, sprout mandibles, uh, their eyes change, her waist pinches tight. Um, it's a whole fun description. Mm -hmm. Morphing bugs is terrible. The um, flat, dead eyes. Always. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, uh, continues his morph, um, continues to shrink. Um, his eyesight stops functioning, uh, and he realizes that he's not completely blind, it's just blackness, um, or it's not just blackness, he can see areas of light and dark, but that's it. And it's fragmented. Um, and the ant brain isn't inter interested in them. It's much more interested in 
smell uh, by antenna. Um, I tried to prepare myself. I had been through this before. There is usually a time, a brief few seconds, before the animal mind appears with all its fear and hunger and intensity. I needed to be prepared. Ants were tiny and weak. Surely their fear would be extreme. I would have to be... Then wham! The ant's mind erupted inside my own. There was no fear. None. There was no hunger. There was no... No self. No me. No me. No... My antenna swept the air. Strange. Not home. Not the colony. Enemy territory. Smell them. Smell their droppings. Smell the acrid odors they smeared along the ground to mark their boundaries. How are you guys doing? It's Tobias. How are you guys doing? Strangers. The smell of others. They would come. There would be killing. Killing soon. Move. Jake. Marco. Rachel. Cassie. Answer me. It's Tobias. Talk to me. I began moving. My six legs picked their way nimbly. I was a nearly blind insect, picking his way through a forest of giant saw-edged grass blades. Food. The smell of food. Find it. Take it. Return to the colony with it. Change direction instantly. Move toward the smell of dead beetle. Others around. Us. Ours. They had the right smell. They were not enemy. You guys are headed the wrong way. Moving faster now. Feet fumbling each- feet feeling each blade of grass. Antenna sweeping the air. Searching- for the scent of the enemy, searching for the scent of the dead carcass that we had to find and return to the colony. Listen to me, you're going the wrong way. The ants' minds are controlling you. Close now. The scent of food was stronger. Mandibles working would touch the carcass. We would judge its size. If it was too big to carry, we would hack it into smaller pieces and carry the chunks to the colony. You have to take control. You have to fight. You have to get a grip. Our enemies would come and kill. The smell of enemies was everywhere. There. We had reached the dead beetle. I scented the air. I touched it with my legs, touching again and again to learn the size. I? My legs? Confusion. Fight! Fight it! You have to get control! It was big. The others were with me. I opened my cutting mandibles wide and bit into the beetle's slicing tough shell, biting into meat. Listen to me. You're losing. You have to fight! Fight? Suddenly, I realized that there had been some thing. A sound. Yes. Not a smell. Not a smell. Not a feel. You are humans. You are humans. Listen to me. You are not ants. Fight it. Fight it. Yes, not a smell or a feel. In my head. My. Me. Marco. Ah! I screamed inside my own head. Tobias said later that it scared him half to death. He thought I was being killed. It wasn't that at all. I had been reborn. And he continues to scream. What's the matter? Tobias is very concerned. I lost myself, I said. I was gone. I was lost. I didn't even exist. Tobias tells them to morph back, but I could hear the others now snapping back into reality, becoming again, crying. What kind of creatures are these? It was Axe. He sounded terrified. Terrified. They have no self. I was lost. There was nothing to hold on to. They are not whole. They are only parts, like cells, just pieces. What kind of foul creatures are these? Cassie comes back and she says, they're social insects, part of a colony, a hive. I should have guessed. I should have known. Um, and Tobias continues to be like, morph back, get out of that. This is not worth it. Whatever the fuck that was. And they're like, and he, uh, and he spots other <laughs> ants coming their way. Yeah. Um, and it, and they just like, how can you see them up there? And he's like, I'm not in the tree. I'm right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm standing right over you. You're only a few inches from my right talon. Um, um, 
Rachel is the one who's just like, I don't want to have to do this again. Let's just do it and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, they check in with each other. Everyone is mostly in control. Um, it's just like, one by one, we said yes. It was only partially true. Yes, I had gained control over the ant mind, but it was still there. It was powerful in a totally new way. It was the simplicity that made it hard. The ant was a piece of a computer, just a tiny switch, a part of a much bigger creature, the colony. So that's the first traumatizing part of the ants. <laughs> Join us later for part two. <laughs> Um, but they, they um they get in they they get their shit together as much as they can. Um, they're able to uh make their way through the grass. Uh, they get the scent of the enemy, but they keep moving, and it's a matter of kill or be killed. So they just sort of keep pushing forward and hit the uh eventually hit the concrete wall of the foundation of the house. Yep. Uh, I will make a note here. Um. This isn't really true to how ants actually are. Um, I read really good meta at some point not too long ago that talked about how ants would probably be easier to do because they are individuals, but they work towards the success of a greater good kind of thing, kind of like how humans are very social animals. Uh, but also, this... this <laughs> i mean this is one of if not the most like impactful morph of the series yeah like i mean like you said jade you know if you ask anyone who's read animorphs and mentioned ants like oh we all know we all remember <laughs> and it's one of the only ones too that even the kids throughout the series you know reference yeah. several times and you know vehemently will not do again not ants. Never ants. Uh, they manage to get into the tunnel that they're using. It smells really bad uh, because it smells like enemy ants. Um, but they go through the tunnel. They get to the concrete foundation. They get through the concrete foundation. Um, Rachel runs into an ant and at first is concerned, but it ran away. Um, He's running. He's running away. It's okay. It's okay. He was smaller than me. He ran off down a side tunnel. I guess we're the baddest ants in the tunnel, I said, trying to joke away the sudden clutch of very human terror. Um, they get into the basement. The axe, de- they all demorph. Uh, Marco goes first and is like, I should find a light. And then he freaks out because he could crush the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, he immediately has them over. He's able to find a lamp, mm-hmm. uh, gets the light on. The, kid, the other kids are over in the corner. Uh, Jake's like, we can see the light, but we know you can't thought speak, so just flick the light if um, it's safe. Mm-hmm. And Mark has this moment of going, of like, wow, having been that small. Mm-hmm. Um, they flick the light, they uh, are all able to morph back. And they're both like, and they're like, I don't want to do that again. Yep. So. Um, they, Axe is able to take apart the uh transponder or to take apart the communicator and find the transponder it's small so they can carry it um they also find a document in the computer uh that announces that the yurks have an important visitor arriving soon visser one 
Um, Axe explains Visser 1 is more powerful than Visser 3, just as Visser 3 is more powerful than Visser 4. There are 47 Vissers in the Yurk Empire, or so we believe. Um, they also learn that Visser 3 is the only Yurk to have an Andalite body, only he can morph. Visser 1 has a human body, I believe. Ah, here, I have it. He gets the transponder. They put the transponder near the crack. They all morph back into Ant. Um, they really don't want to, but they do. Um, they are they able to... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And so they start rolling this sort of pea-sized thing. Uh, um, and they talk about, has this moment of how strong they are and how mm -hmm. watching them carry this uh, load is like watching three people walking down the street carrying a bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is great. They get um, through the concrete foundation and back into the dirt tunnel. It happened suddenly. There was no warning. One second, the tunnel ahead of me was empty. The next second, it was full. Full of a charging, racing army of ants. Enemies, my ant brain said. Now the killing would begin. Uh, they are attacked from all sides. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of them flooding up from all of the tunnels bursting through the walls. They start to literally pull them apart tear them apart um one tries to bite marco in half yep there was no defense we could not win we would all be dead in a few seconds they were machines absolutely without fear unstoppable marco realizes that the only way out is to morph uh, and so he as one of his legs is pulled off of him he ripped out by the roots yep uh and his waist is being sawed through by grinding sharp mandibles uh, and he's being poisoned. And he's being poisoned because they all are stinging him. He begins to demorph. They all begin to demorph. Um, suddenly, the pressure around my waist was gone. Instead, I felt the sandy soil pressing against me. I was growing. I couldn't breathe. Sand blocked the air. Pressure. Then the ground op around me opened up. I swear it was like cr climbing up out of a grave. The air. Fresh, clean night air. I exploded up out of the sand. Jake was on top of me, pushing against me as he grew, and the others, who had been only inches away in the tunnel, also pressed together in a rapidly growing heap of misshapen bodies. I tried to squirm away, but it was awkward. I was only half-human. Uh, but they make it out, um, alive, in one piece. I looked down and saw the disturbed sand where we had pushed our way up and out. Thousands of ants, almost too small to see, were racing wildly around. There, too, in the dirt was the transponder. I picked it up. Rachel was stomping the ground back down, trying to flatten it out so it wouldn't look strange. Uh. <laughs> Micro tries to make a joke. One day I'm a lobster, then I'm an ant. I figure the next step down the evolutionary ladder is a virus or something, and I just want to say right now, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to become phlegm, even to save the world. It wasn't much of a joke, but there was kind of a lame little laugh from everyone, and Rachel stopped stomping the ants. I mean, the ground. That night when I went home, I took a shower. I found the head of an ant. It was still locked onto the skin of my waist. Lots of people think only humans fight wars that only humans are murderous. Let me tell you something. Compared to ants, human beings are full of nothing but peace, love, and understanding. And then they have this quote. A month or so after the experience with the ants, I picked up a book about ants. The author said, if ants had nuclear weapons, they would probably end the world in a week. He's wrong. It wouldn't take them that long.